Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. neighborhood a little bit so i've got to get this thing moving and then if it uh if you can't stream it just hop over to the uh just hop over to the uh podcast page and download it it'll be up there so and i've got some bad news for you the mensa brothers and i recorded last night but because i'm out of practice I forgot to run the uh, audio check before, and the audio is distorted. Now, don't email me and say, Mac, the audio's fast. That's not it, okay? It's distorted. I don't know what happens to the sound driver, but something happens spontaneously, and you can't tell in the sine wave it's just recording. It looks absolutely normal. I know because I stare at it. And then we got done, and I listened to it, and I went, holy shit. So, here's what I want you to do. Instead of bitching and shutting it off and saying, oh, it's not perfect. Because it is funny, and it is informative, which is what people like about the Mensa sisters. So, anyway, um, I would tell you this. Just pretend you're in the days of the old AM radio, okay? And, um, And pretend you're listening on your AM radio in your car. And the reception sucks a little bit. And listen to it. You you can understand most of it. You know? Kenny, who's notorious for his shitty calm, right? He, he um, you might struggle to understand him. But you'll understand most of the rest of it. And it's entertaining. So, um, I would offer you that. Right out of the shoot. Yeah. I got a power outage going today. And I've got a shitty, I have a shit comp today. So, anyway, welcome to All Marine Radio. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was cruising around shit, um, I want, I ran across a blog post from somebody who is, uh, uh, Somebody, I don't know why I do that every day, but I do. Um, Somebody who I always, in my opinion, catches my eye with what they write. Now, not everybody does. I have to tell you this. Right? Not everybody does. But this guy does. Right? 
And he's on Twitter under the name of Commander Salamander. Yeah. CDR Salamander. You could check him out on, on Twitter. Anyway, he always posts interesting stuff. He's a blogger and I think he's a podcaster. And I saw this headline. Yes, Virginia, our Navy does have quotas based on self-identified race and ethnicity. And so I read that again. Self-identified race and ethnicity. Self-identified. Okay. So we have quotas now in the United States Navy. So I click on the post. And he writes this. I've decided to change the topic of this week's Div Div Thursday, Diversity Thursday. If you're here for the Farcical Navy's Task Force One Navy, well, come back next week. This is worse and more important. For how many years of doing Diversity Thursday, through all the name-calling attempts to dox or cancel me and my sources, have we been told, in spite of the experiences of many here, that in no case will our Navy set up a quota system. And then, in hushed tones, perhaps whisper, well, they'd never be stupid enough to make it official. We have goals and desires, close quote. Okay, here it is. Red in tooth and claw. At least it is out in the open and perhaps has been for quite a while. And then he kind of extracts some stuff from this this thing is a Bureau of Navy document. Right? BUNAV document, right? Um, is to exclude someone by race and ethnicity discriminatory? Question mark. And then he quotes from the document. Right? So they're, they're looking for recor- recorders at promotion boards. Right? So this is taken from the document. Any field other than M, male. (laughs) So if you're a dude, you just got whacked out of that. Any race other than E, white, or F, declined to respond. The rest is all there below. We, of course, have all the parallel issues in play. Everything here is self-identified and brings all the fraud that comes with that. Mixed-race people or those who cannot or will not classify themselves are othered. In a zero-sum game to deny based on race or ethnicity is racism or bias based on the same. Worse, we are telling everyone, including you, that we do not trust or assume that people that wear the uniform can judge based on merits. Indeed, we seem to be buying into the racial discriminationism and the assumption that those self-identified minorities will look out for those who share the sectarian identities. There are few things more corrosive in human or in a human organization. History is clear about this than to encourage action and behavior based on race, creed, color, or national origin. Origin. Now it is policy. So if you if you click on this document, what you get is. A BUPERS Bureau Personnel Notice 1401. You could look that up, right? Dated 9 September 2020 from the Bureau of Naval Personnel in Millington, Tennessee. From 
Chief of Naval Personnel, Subject, Diversity and Selection Board Recorder Assignments. Okay, I'll read that again. Subject, Diversity and Selection Board Recorder Assignments. The purpose, purpose, to provide guidance regarding the sourcing of diverse officer and enlisted selection board participants in an effort to provide greater exposure to senior leaders serving as board members knowledge of board processes, and a better understanding of career progression, this note formally encourages expanded diversity of recorders and assist recorders in support of Navy promotion and administrative boards. Now, here's the crazy part about it. It doesn't do anything like that. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't do any such of the thing. It doesn't encourage, it mandates methodology and definition, all right? B, for the purpose of satisfying this diversity of recorder or assistant recorder requirements, the following personnel are considered a gender, racial, or ethnic minority. Gender, any sex field other than M. Race, and then it says, any race field other than white or declined to respond. Any race... In conjunction with ethnic field L or 1, I can't tell. Hispanic descent, 4, Puerto Rican, 6, Mexican, 9, Cuban or S, Latin American descent. And then it gives quotas. Where 9 recorders and assistant recorders are required for a board, 3 of them, 30%, right, should be gender or racial and ethnic minorities. Signed, J.W. Hughes, Deputy Chief of Naval Personnel. Pretty amazing. In writing. In writing. Quotas have come to the United States Navy. So, so, you know, I was thinking, you know, like, so how does this all end? Well, it, it runs its course because you have a generation of people that don't understand what they're doing and don't understand where it goes. So... Right? So, they have to learn. And this stuff has to run its ugly course as people who don't understand what happens when you do this go down this road. And so, we will watch it again as as we discriminate based on race. And those people who are supposed to take care of everybody else fail, and they will. And discrimination becomes arbitrary. And that whole, that whole, that whole thing that I love to read, written by the German minister, they came first for the communists. I did not speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came, came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Catholics. And I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. And then they came for me. And by that time, there was no one left to speak up. And so, the world we live in today. So, um, I have to get out of here because they're going to shut the power off here at my home. And i got to get things to run on battery power for a while. If um, you're listening to this... Uh, you will find the the podcast up on 
the website already. So you can listen to that. And again, I apologize for the audio, but again, what I want, it is fun. It's, it's a good segment as most of them are with the Mensa sisters. And so, um, don't turn it off. Just pretend it's a shitty connection and listen to it because it's good stuff. Anyway, with apologies, I'm a little bit out of practice. Um, normally what I do is I just record testing one, two, three, four and hit stop, listen to it. And then I go. And because I haven't done this in three weeks, I forgot to do that. So, with apologies, have a great Thursday. I'm going to go get my COVID, sh- one of my first of two COVID shots this afternoon. So, we'll see what happens. If I'm not here tomorrow, you know it ain't good. So, anyway, have a great day on a Thursday. I'm out. See you later. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. I maintain this is the single most recognizable piece of audio in the history of music. Now, I could be wrong about that. Satisfaction is pretty recognizable. Speed of satisfaction, uh, three of my friends that will give you none are... Uh, Tim Lynch from McAllen, Texas. Tim? Hey, Mac. How's it going? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for asking. Will Costantini. Will, how are you? I'm great. I don't care how you are. Will is uh, part of the 1% on the planet of people that are worth more than $6 million. So congratulations to Will. And uh, a man who, uh, I I said I would not say this on the air, but fuck, I have to. Just has been being beaten the shit out of by his wife. Jeff Kenny um, joins us uh, for the position of parade rest that he was just soundly beaten into. Jeff, uh, <laughs> how are you? You take that you take that ass whipping like a man. I got to tell you that right now. Yeah. That's it? That's all you got? No, yeah. Yeah. He's in parade rest, man. Come on. That's right. You can't speak in the position of parade rest. From the position of rest, you can not only move your, is it left or right foot? Hold on. Left foot, right? From yeah. rest, you can. Can you talk from the position of rest? I think you can. I'm at ease. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, first of all, I've got to get weather updates. Uh, Jeff, weather in San Clemente, how is it? Uh, it's reasonably uh, chilly, but there and everything. So, yeah, it's about, it's in the high 50s right now. Or low sixties, right? So it's uh, so it's pretty chilly for California standards. Um, Tim, uh, how, how are things? How are things? Uh, no, it's nothing to joke about. I don't know why Jeff's laughing. Um, why? How are things in? Te- <laughs> how are things in Texas? And well, it's uh, thirty-seven degrees right now, heading down to thirty-two tonight. It's uh, that's four days in a row of this sub-zero temperature. That's a that's probably a record. Last time it, it was that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said sub, sub-zero is not 37. Oh, excuse me. I mean, when it was, I, I don't mean sub-zero. I mean below, yeah, below 32 is sub-zero, right? No. Yeah, it is. Below sub-zero is centigrade. Below, below. Oh, yeah. Sub-zero is. Below yeah, 32 is below, below, <laughs> below freezing. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, below freezing might be the way Americans say it, but the. <laughs> We be Americans. That's how we say it. Yeah, that actually. We intellectuals. We intellectuals aren't held to that kind of rigid, uptight 
traditional standard where we talk about the weather. And 37 is a below 32 anyway. I don't want to be a math asshole, no, but no, no, no. rule does it to I'm me all the time, so fuck it. Four days. What? I mean, per- periodically. But I got it. I got to point out, the last time we had a spell of weather this bad in February was 1836, and it wiped out a good portion of Santa Ana's army on its way up to Texas, and it was a, it was a good deal for us back then. Now we got Chinese windmills. It's a bad deal. <laughs> I knew the Chinese had to be behind this too. The um, so just for the historical record, the Alamo should have been done much more expeditiously. If Santa Ana brings his siege artillery, yeah, but he is, is that that campaign? Died the, uh, oxen died in the winter storm, lost them all. So them, uh, I think the siege artillery arrived the day that they they uh, overran the place. Oh, man. If you're a grunt, that's not exactly what you want to hear. Hey, where's the siege artillery? Yeah, it's not going to be here till later on this afternoon. Let's go, boys. Saddle up. What the fuck did he just say? It took, it took 18 pounds of powder to fire one ball, so he had to get some powder up there, too. That was a problem also. Really? So, uh, one holy. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was amazed to read that. You read T.R. Fahrenbach and pick up stuff like this. 18 pounds of powder. What was the diameter of the fucking round, man? It had to be a huge one. It had to be. It was a siege gun. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it would have been. The siege guns, man. I'm Eight most. Counter. Yeah, I'm most. No, more than that. 16. I, but, I mean, you see them in, like, Petersburg, right? Yeah. I, that's the. You see those big. They look like fucking kettles, right? Yeah, that's a mortar. I think they had one of those, too. But I think his siege artillery was long, too, or two. Uh, uh, made of the Spanish flight. Well, the Spanish variety, like we saw outside of, uh, like, Stalingrad on the trains and shit like that, huh? Yeah, I don't think quite that big, bro. But it was yeah, uh, that's gonna the be kind a, of the Spanish would send over in the 1700s. That's going to be a big, that's gonna be a big ox that pulls that motherfucker around. Well, about really? nine or ten of them, yeah. yeah. yeah but they, uh, they took a beating, and if they hadn't taken a beating, they would have overwhelmed San Antonio, and they would have snuck that Texas Rebellion right in the cradle. It was, nothing would have stopped them. Got it, got it. And joining us from uh, Bob Dole's home state, Kansas, Will Costantini. Will, um, want to give us a weather update? Yeah, we've had some global warming here in the last two days. It's up to 18 degrees. Wow, congratulations. (laughs) Sense of hope down there. You're uh, you're fleeing now, Kansas, and heading to Florida. are you just, uh, you've had enough of the cold weather between Buffalo and Kansas? You said, I can't take this shit anymore. I'm going to Florida. Uh, I was never in Buffalo. I was actually in Ithaca. Um, I knew that. I was just making sure you were paying attention. Yeah. I, uh, I planned this about three months ago, anticipating extreme cold in February in Kansas. And I uh, set up a weekend with uh, someone from First LAR, one of the first sergeants uh, just stayed in contact with over the years. The main effort, just in case anybody's confused, the main effort in the march up and uh, during 2004 for the 1st Marine Division, uh, that separate battalion carried the day throughout. So uh, all you have to do is read their history. They'll tell you that. So, all right. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, let's see. I was reading about me live today. Um, and... I was uh, I was putting together uh, the fifth hour of the presentation I'll do, and I have to do two separate hours 
for the fifth hour. One, if you're an individual watching it, which I have more and more individuals that are watching it, you know, and, and the fifth hour is how does the concepts in the two goals and Ten Commandments, you know, relate to you? And then one for um, uh, if you're an organization or military unit. And I, and I like doing it because I can put in all the stuff, you know, that time doesn't allow me to do in the presentation. And there's video by an Army PFC by the name of Barnado Simpson. I talk about, you know, in the, in the Three Goals of Ten Commandments, um, you know, you don't get over the things that, that traumatize you. Marine, Marine Corps, you know, has this saying, you know, keep your honor clean. It's in our fucking song. Now, we don't know who wrote the song, so we can't ask them the question, but, I mean, why do we have a morals clause in our song? You know? I mean, nobody else does. I mean, we have a great song, but did they know that it was important to keep your honor clean? Why? I mean, there's a whole lot of lyrics you could put in after first to write, first to fight for right and freedom and to blow their shit away, right? I mean, you employ any moderately literate fool, and they would come up with some pretty bitchin' lyrics, and to keep your honor clean, like what? Like well, why does that need to be in the song? So my question is, did they know it was important to keep your honor clean? Anyway, to illustrate that point, I played this video of a guy named Barnado Simpson. He's a PFC. He's at uh, Milai, and uh, he's interviewed a couple different times. And the interviews are pretty brutal. And the first one is he's a stand-up guy. In 1970, he's being interviewed. And he's in a suit and tie with short hair. Now, for those of us alive, like Jeff and I, Will and Tim not born yet, but Jeff and I alive, and <laughs> and um, and nobody was wearing a suit and tie and had short hair after they came back from Vietnam in 1970. But this guy is, and he's trying to explain it. You can see he's a stand-up kid. You know, his mother, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's black. His mother is an x-ray technician as a black woman in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, that's high-end shit in 1968, 69, and whatever. And uh, he dropped out of college to enlist. And, uh, and then they show him 20 years later, 1988, 20 years after the incident. And you can see his face is all puffed out because of his medications. His hands are shaking. He will commit suicide, um, I want to say, nine years after the second uh, interview, and um, he tells the story about his his son is murdered in the front yard of his grandmother's home in a stray round when one kid in the neighborhood shoots a pistol at another kid, misses the kid, hits his son in the head, and he says, as I was holding my son and he was dying, he had the same look on his face of the child that I had killed at Milai, and I knew then that this was my punishment, that God had punished me. And you listen to that, and you're like, holy shit. So I find uh, another video. This guy's name is Harry Stanley. He's a machine gunner in Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 20th Infantry Regiment of the AmeriCal Division um, that day. And he gets ordered to, to kill people. He says, and he just says, no, I won't do it. And he says, look, he said, I got raised like everybody else raised, you know. I, fighting the war is one thing. Kills innocent people is, is another thing. So I had the chance to put all that. I, I have Because I'm not encumbered by time on these videos, I was putting that together. And so I was just doing research on Harry Stanley. I ran across this study, so I started reading it. So, But I just thought, you guys are, you know, you guys are all 
you know, well-read. Uh, when you think of Milai, and we talked about Milai before on, on, on this, but uh, is there one thing uh, that, that you take away from it, from either your reading or, or history? And, you know, we need to start with the Nightingale. So, Jeff, um, you're pretty well-read relative to Vietnam and relative to Milai. Is there, when, you go, when you think back to Milai, um, is there anything that, that, that is first and foremost in your head? Well, I mean, the uh, the gist of it. The, 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 there's no reason to go on and uh, to, to to murder like that when they're in a combat situation. Ridiculous. And you know, being immoral, other stuff that goes with the worst sin in military is, is to do things that contribute to success. Got it. Got it. Timmy, how about you? I mean, uh, you grew up on Vietnam. Your dad, your uncle there. I know you're a big reader of it. Uh, when you think of that, um, I mean, hell, that was, uh, I mean, Vietnam, you know, part of your, your family's heritage, you know, and, and so uh, when you think of it, is there anything that's first and foremost in your head? I don't understand how Americans do that. I, I understand how that happens in war, and I know that, Throughout our human history, this is the most common way non-combatants in enemy-held territories that are friendly to the enemy are treated. This is not unusual in historical standards, but I, as an American, can't imagine Americans doing it. I, I, I cannot, to this day, imagine how the hell those guys got it in their heads that this was okay to do. And I'm appalled, and I've always been appalled, that the, that the battalion command and the company commanders and the other units in the vicinity didn't put a stop to it. Yeah, it is. I, I took a helicopter pilot to do it. Yeah. Well, that doesn't even stop. That, that, that Hugh Thompson thing, that's just one minor episode in it, right? And But the whole thing continues. Well, how about you? you? Know, Go ahead. If I can make one, one final one, though. You know, I brag on about Texas and our, our beating the Comanches because that was a 300-year war. But the only way to beat the Comanches is doing what those guys did in So in our past, we have we we don't we don't fear necessarily our Indian fighters per se, but that's exactly the kind of crap they had to pull. And I know that, but I still don't understand how that happened in Vietnam because there weren't Comanches. This wasn't the next. And we weren't fighting for our homesteads. You know, it wasn't like they massacred a wife and children. thing is uh, where are the officers and where are you know career staff and not necessarily the guys uh, that were real junior and got promoted over there but the pre-war NCOs that grew up in a very different army and uh, the idea that they were participating afraid of their own troops. I don't know. But where are the authors there? It's a real indictment. Yeah, one of the most sobering parts of all of it is when you see interviews with some of the staff NCOs who defend what they did. I don't think we did anything wrong. And you're sitting there watching it and with what with what Timmy and Jeff, you know, have said, like, 
you know, one of the worst things you can do, right? I mean, our whole thing of first do no harm and no better friend, no worse enemy. It's like, hey, you know, we come in peace. We wear the white hat. We don't wear the, we don't wear the black hat. And, uh, and you hear, you know, years later, you know, people talking about, yeah, I don't think we did anything wrong. You know, and, you know, they dug up, I don't know, when you read the different investigations, somewhere between 435 and 550 corpses in two or three separate mass graves. Are you shitting me? You know? Yeah, I'd say, you know, Haditha is not at the scale, but there's about 25 Iraqis with a bunch of little kids, uh, women, no weapons present. And we really don't know what happened there. Uh, that investigation was so bungled, and then the prosecution, it got very politicized, and we don't know what happened. But 25 civilians got shot close, some of them two feet, gunshot. How do you know that? Yeah, well, you need to talk about your involvement in that so people understand. Um, I was, uh, I'm trying to think what they call it, like expert advisor at a very late stage of the prosecution. And so I had to all the records to include all the pictures, all the investigations that were done, um, all the transcripts. And I, I just couldn't square the circle because it, you couldn't get past the second question. Uh, of well, what well I, I don't know that too. And I'll tell you right now, all those people were buried within 24 hours and they wouldn't exhume any body. And I bet if you did, you'd find a lot of 762 by 39, not too many 556 in those bodies. Yeah, there was a significant problem in that there was no scene to investigate. But there were contemporary pictures that were done that no one denied that they were in those spots. Uh, their justifications, you know, I got to tell you, they were weak. Uh, someone says that we crashed the room because we heard someone locking the load in an AK on the other side. And they enter the room, and it's two kids and a woman. And they didn't recover a single firearm. No, it, the, I, to me, what's always been puzzling about that is, um, and, and I, I learned this working for General Mattis, seeing the, 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 the division SJA, in action, right? I didn't really know the SJA's function in combat, um, but you know, its function is to help keep everybody's nose pointing in the right direction, and uh, and and that's and that's important because when when units lose their way, right, uh, and you stop start flipping rocks behind it, you know, you find a whole trail of 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 of, of things that go on, and uh, and I was always puzzled, you know, by you know that. And I remember reading a quote from, uh, I don't know, somebody in their COC that said, in, in, in an investigation interview that said, yeah, well, that wasn't a big number. 
right? Bullshit, man. I don't care if you were Iraq or Afghanistan whenever you were there. 20-something civilians being killed? That was always a big number. And you hear that stuff, and then they didn't investigate it. And you investigate it to protect people, right? So you can go take a look at it. So that, that, I, that to me, is the head-scratcher of, of all of that. And uh, not of all of it, but it's one of the head-scratching moments in, in that, having, having had the perspective of working in a Division G3 and also for the commanding general, you know, and, and how things kind of happen. But, uh, but, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. The, um, the other thing that made me think of Jeff was, uh, you know, the Vietnam veterans of America. Wait, Vietnam veterans against the war? Is that what they call themselves, VVAW? Yeah, I think it was. They they had this commission called, um, what, Winter Soldiers? Um, yeah, the Winter Soldier Conference. And what made me think of Jeff was where they get the name Winter Soldiers. And uh, uh, it, comes, it comes from, you're muted, Jeff. I think you muted yourself. But it comes from... Um, Thomas Paine. Yeah, Thomas Paine talking about the soldiers of summer that fought with Washington and deserting at Valley Forge, I think, is where it comes from. And so the, the guys who stayed at Valley Forge were the true, they were the winter soldiers. They were the true patriots, which is how they got their name. So, so I heard something, you know, that literate, right, and that historical, I immediately thought of you, Jeff. So I just want you to know that uh, that's how you. That's how you've impressed me over, over the years. All right. Um, Grant Newsham was on um, on Wednesday, yesterday. And uh, I thought I'd ask you guys to get your crystal ball out. Um, the Biden, what do you see happening with the Biden administration uh, in on the Pacific Rim? Do you see them continuing down the, the road that Donald Trump has kind of taken America, the United States, relative to a more confrontational approach to China? Do you see us going back to the Bush-Obama era, you know, as long as we can do business with you, we don't care what else you do? Uh, Jeff, what, what do you see? Uh, because Lloyd Austin said we will defend the Senkaku Islands. You know, we're still, uh, you know, sending, you know, naval vessels through the Straits of Taiwan, as of, I think, yesterday. Uh, your thoughts on that, Jeff? What do you expect? I expect them to, uh, like the last four years, and they'll just go, they'll go right back to the Obama, plan, which is really a continuation of uh, democratic communist countries. In the old days, it was the Union. Nowadays, I mean, the last 20 years, it's China. Sense of inevitability of their their dominance and a uh, and uh, opinion that we should. Get on the get on a good side of it, and, uh, you know, influence them to be good. I heard the president uh, today say that, uh, they they will do what they're going to do in regards to the Uyghurs. Really have nothing to do with it. He said that we should have nothing to do with it. He said that's their business, their own stuff, and you know we're they're, we're not going to have any effect. On it. Interesting. I wonder what Jimmy Carter thinks of that. Uh, Tim Lynch, your thoughts? What do you think? I, I, I think that his tendency is going to be to go back to the Obama style of, of trying to accommodate China, 
at the same time, I, I don't have a very positive opinion of the president. I think he's capable of overreacting to the stimuli that China's going to be sending our way. China's already doing it. They're, they're already, they're already uh, rallying the sabers in the, in the islands out there. And I think it's just a matter of time before they try to test the line. And I'm afraid that with our, our current commander-in-chief, he could, he could pull the trigger too quick because he doesn't seem to be all there. And I think that he could be goaded into acting by, by appealing to his ego and, and basically, you know, accusing him of being like Obama, being soft on China and stuff. I, I just, I'm just afraid that he'll try to make some kind of a demonstration that will go, go pear-shaped. All right. Will, how about you? What do you see in the Pacific Rim? It's hard for me to believe that we're going to have a real coherent strategy for this thing. Um, the idea that we'll do the freedom of navigation and we'll do that out front military stuff, that's sort of inertia. That's what we're going to be doing. But his quote about uh, the Uyghurs in particular you know, if we're going to have a coherent strategy, it's got to apply pressure on every front. And we're not going to apply pressure on human rights. We're not going to apply pressure on the origins of COVID and their releasing uh, this on the world, whether they generated it or not. Their response to it, restricting information, et cetera, made it much worse. Uh, and then on the economic side, uh, you know, the big money on Wall Street cannot afford to have China uh, shut off from U.S. markets. Uh, and so our ability to use all the power, um, diplomatic, informational, military, and economic, I just don't see that we're going to be coherent. And then put yourself in China's shoes and look at the U.S., you know, and the first thing that we do militarily with a new administration is investigate the military. Uh, it's hard to take it seriously. And, and, and the first thing we do, you know, is we, we go back to the WHO, which was inept in dealing with COVID. Uh, rejoin the Paris Treaty even though that we're, we've been doing better than anyone that's in the treaty, and we know that China's worst. You, you sit in Beijing and look at Washington, D.C., and I don't know that you see a threat. Could you, Will, could you get in front of the camera? We see half your head, which is disturbing. There you go. How's this? That, that's much better. That's much better. Hey, China, China's the only source of fentanyl, right? They're like the number one producer. So you can add that to the list of woes coming out of that land. Well, they just gaffed off the, the vigorous and demanding uh, World Health Organization investigation, and nobody, nobody said a fucking word. No. Nothing to see here, boys. Keep it moving. And so to me, that is the that is what we've done in the past. That is... You know, as long as we can do business and uh, the combination of Wall Street being more than willing to deliver a rules-based world to the Chinese, 
in conjunction with our diplomats that are more than willing to facilitate that is to me just reason to go to Florida for a weekend. I mean, what what, what the fuck, boys? Um, what the fuck? The um, somebody sent me an email and was um, was asking uh, if each one of us had a favorite weapon that we owned or that we'd like to own, personal type weapon. So um, we'll start with Will because he's kind of a gun asshole. Will. Jeff can't copy anybody, I don't think, on this one. He'll have his own answer. He's kind of a gun asshole himself. So, Will, do you have a uh, do you have a favorite, a favorite that you own or would like to own? Being that you're in the one percent, you could probably own any weapon that you want, other than a Ford class aircraft carrier, because we can't seem to we can't seem to produce those fucking things. I'm going to give you two categories. Okay. The, the favorite one that I own is. The uh, 45 that my grandfather carried in World War II in Korea. Oh, shit. He was... Uh, what was he? Tell us about him. Yeah, so he, I think the story is is that uh, he joined a unit that eventually became the 84th Infantry Division. And they deployed to England in 43, I think. And then they didn't go ashore... They may have gone to England in 44. They didn't go ashore until November of 44. And they went straight from across uh, the beach. They went across Omaha Beach and right into the Battle of Bulge. And uh, that division was in the line with 30 Corps and 20 Corps, I believe, for the rest of the war. Uh, then he was on occupation duty with uh, 3rd Army, came home for a while. Then he went to occupation duty in Japan, and he was the assistant signals officer on MacArthur's staff. And so when the war kicked off in Korea, MacArthur sent something that they called the survey party. And so since he was the assistant commo, he went on the uh, survey party, who was in Korea for a couple of weeks, uh, came and then eventually retired in about 1957, and uh, he took his 45 home. And uh, it's actually uh, was built uh, by Ithaca Gun, uh, you know, subcontractor of the government. Uh, and he gave it to me probably 20 years ago. And uh, so I've shot it a few times. I don't like shooting 45. Uh, too much kick. Too heavy. Too much kick for your small wrist. I uh, just hard on the body. Yeah, you have a couple of concussions, and you just want to avoid that. Wow! Here, here, just ruin the whole image of what it is to be a Constantini man in, in the, on this planet. Oh, I wonder what your grandfather would say if he just heard that. Like, unbelievable. Um, let me ask. So, is it? When you shoot, I mean, is it like the forty fives we used to shoot? Where it's the exact same thing. Offset, offset. I know, but you got to offset it by two feet. What's that little black marker in the lower left hand corner of the tar of, of the target? Oh, that's yeah, my aiming one, point. Actually, the front sight is bent at about ten degrees, <laughs> um, and supposedly, uh, you know, my grandfather's an interesting guy. He told a million stories, and none of them were about. Anything in combat. 
Right. Uh, you know, he was a technical guy. His job was keeping communications up to the regimental combat, combat teams forward, which meant telephone lines and things like that. And then my dad relays at one point, and, and he told the same 10 stories about 50 times. We've heard them all. And at one time he talks about going into a telephone exchange in a town somewhere in Germany. Uh, he's in the basement and hears a noise, draws his pistol, German officer comes around, and they do gunfight at the OK Corral. And he kills the guy with this forty five. And he takes his Luger off him, and that guy's pistol had malfunctioned. Oh, okay. <laughs> my uncle has that Luger. Your uncle does. Yeah. Do you have? Do you lay claim to that? Oh, I don't lay claim to anything. You know, I knew my grandfather hadn't shot his forty-five or in a long time, and I asked him if I could have it. He gave it to me. I didn't even know about the Luger until well after that time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's a great story. That's a great story. I mean, uh, it, it reminds me of a Manchester story about the the fight in that that small structure when the guy spins with his rifle and hits a hits a bamboo pole holding up the roof, and he can't get to Manchester. Manchester, what? He shoots him and kills him at close range and then pukes. Right? If I remember the story right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, here's another great story about my grandfather. He's he's got a purple heart. He was sitting at a desk doing paperwork. A mortar round goes off in the courtyard and he's got a through and through shrapnel wound in his bicep. So he like pinches it off so it doesn't bleed on his paper. And eventually someone puts a band-aid on it and they give him a purple heart sometime later. <laughs> and I'm not sure he actually knew what it was for initially, but that was his purple heart. <laughs> Hey, it's legit. If it goes in your head and kills you, right? You're still killed in action. It's funny. He's a staff guy, lieutenant colonel, sitting at a desk, doing paperwork. Wow. That's like the major Nicholson got hit by pocket. Yeah, you talk about a crazy story. There's one for you. I mean, Larry Nicholson, but for the grace of God, would tell you he should be dead. I mean, and, yeah. and, and laments it to this day, you know, that for whatever reason he wasn't taken and, and a major by the name of Kevin Shea was. And right. uh, they switched. You know, I don't know if I've ever, I, I, if I've told this story. I mean, we, when I went back in 2006, Nicholson called me and said, you want, will you go to Fallujah? I, I could use a grown-up doing ops, you know, in, in my three shop. And, you know, your name came up. I said, well, if you need somebody, I'll go. And I just want to thank Will for stifling a fucking wise-ass comment he was about to make. So thanks, Will. See, video, video, you can see a lot more than, than when we than you spill to see each other. But anyway. Well, now I got to say it. If he was looking for an adult, I know. Why the hell you? So he's working in the same office. Jeff, you just slowed down. He's afraid. Right up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> he's afraid. Um, he's working in the same office, 
and and the whole thing's been repaired except the ceiling, which still has the smoke marks and the pock marks from the explosion. So I go, I I'm I'm doing not, I'm doing. The reason I actually went was we had a lot of SIGINT stuff over the province, all devoted to the area around Fallujah. I think AMZ Zarkawi, but we they thought he was in the region. And every night we did soft hit after soft hit after soft hit, and I used to I used to I used to coordinate all that in the, in the regional battle space. But anyway, I go I go back to talk to him, and he used to work till like two in the morning, one or two in the morning. And I go back. A lot of times, he had really good gee dunk in his office, and I'd get hungry in the middle of the night, and I'd go prowling like a bear, right? looking for food, and he'd still be in his fucking office, I'd be like, shit, so I'd stick my head in his office, and he'd be in there, and he'd look at me, now, it was like, I don't know how many meters away from the COC, so I'd look at him and say, and he'd, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, what's up, and I'd say, did you call me, and if he <laughs> called me, there's no fucking way I could ever hear him, right, and he looks at me, and goes, fuck no, I didn't call you, I said, oh, I thought you did, and I said, do you mind if I take some food? And he'd say, no. So I'd shoot the shit with him as long as I got caught. And uh, so one night I looked at him and I said, hey, is this, is this weird to be in this office? And he looked at me and goes, yeah, sometimes it is. I said, what happened? And he, you know, he reenacts the whole thing. You know, they have, he, he takes over from, from Colonel Jocko Tulin, uh, who had been the, the, uh, you know, the commanding officer of First Marines in the march up. Um, and uh, and he stayed there. But, it, you know, Colonel Tulum was scheduled to go back and, and take over what? EWS or command of staff? Something like that. One of the two, I think. Anyway, so they do a, they do a, uh, a change of command that morning. Um, and then, you know, they're back at it. And Colonel Tulum flies out and Colonel Nicholson takes over. They have a 1600 meeting. Eric Smith, who's now a three-star, is the XO of the regiment. He's across the hallway. And at the meeting, Nicholson says, hey, Kevin, I'm having some problem with nipper, sipper, and getting it to work in the office. Could you send somebody by? And, uh, and she says, yes, sir. And so they finish the meeting. He said it was not a very long meeting. And I go back to my office. I'm sitting in there. He said, and... and, and Major Shea walks by, stops, and kind of leans back, and he says, hey, sir, I've got a minute. Let me take a look. And Larry Nicholson says, he says, hey, it's not important. You said one of your guys. It's not urgent. And he says, no, I got time. And that decision right there will change the course of both those guys' lives. And a 122-millimeter rocket come, and, and, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a stone, small palace. There's a... There's a a window behind the desk, and the window is boarded up, not sandbagged, but has a piece of plywood over it. A 122-millimeter rocket, um, as Shea sits down and Nicholson kind of walks to the corner um, of the room as they're just chatting, you know, aimed at nothing, comes through that window and kills Major Shea. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing story. And, uh, and Nicholson actually was blown into the corner where the, where the regimental colors fell on him. And um, he has those colors in his home framed. And you look at it, and there's this, you know, this, there's this dark, 
substance on it. And I said, what's that? He said, that's my blood. I was like, whoa. So, yeah. Now, that was the Jeff's response. Tim? Well, I'm uh, I'm fond of the Kimber 45. I, I, oh, really? I carry a TLE with the RMR sight on it because my sight my sight sucks, but I'm, I've always been a fan of the 45 and for the exact opposite reason of will, because when I was out at front sight, when I was doing you know, professional uh, uh, range management, we'd, we'd be shooting two, 3,000 rounds a, a, a weekend, and a 45, the, particularly the Kimber base model, was a softer recoil. If you were shooting a 40 millimeter, your hands would be toast, but a 45, if you got a good grip, and grip's important on that one, Will. That's that's the key. No, it's, if you get it's the not the recoil that gets me. It's just a concussion. Oh, yeah, I know it does make a big boom. Now, I, I'm I'm very fond of the 45. I I don't like the 10 10 millimeters and and the uh, 40 millimeters because they're so sharp that they they hurt if you if you start running a couple hundred pounds to it. You know. All right, Jeffrey, your favorite weapon you own or would like to own? I have those. 45, like 57, you know, um, like the 45, uh, it's a brand new one, uh, like 2007, 60, and, uh, pretty sweet. It's, uh, I would like to, uh, like big sour P220. What's the one that's 20 or 220? But, uh, I think, I think the 220. Yeah, I like that. I want one that's and, uh, but the problem with the pistols like that is I got a little girl. And um, so it's uncomfortable for me to shoot, like, uh, you know, these high capacity mapping capable pistols. That's why the 45 oh, or Kimber is perfect for me. Uh, and also, I get a SIG that I like. You know, those models, that's like nine, nine rounds, but that, you know, it's not that big. You know, seven round um, too small. I can deal with it, easy. but uh, I got more comfortable smaller ones. I uh, I didn't mean this to be exclusively pistol stuff. My favorite weapon that I own is the M1 Garand. You shoot that thing, you know you shot a rifle, and um, I bought it. Years ago, uh, you know, one one of those National Rifle Association things where they're, I think, bringing rifles back in from Korea, if I wasn't mistaken, and uh, and and got it for I don't know, two hundred bucks, and uh, I love shooting that thing, man. It's got still got the leather sling on it. Um, I look at all the little notches and dents in the stock and think like, where the hell did that come from? Uh, you know, the side of somebody's the guy dropping it in the armory. <laughs> I don't. I don't choose to give it such a less poetic, right, source than Will does. But, uh, yeah, no, I love that thing. Uh, you know, when you shoot that thing, you see the thing, it's, it's like, it's a boom. You talk about a good concussion. Uh, the M1 Grand, uh, yeah, it's a, and I, um, my son's got raised shooting that. If you can imagine them being little guys and put it in their bony-ass shoulder, right? And also, they got raised shooting my, uh, you know, M870 uh, shotgun. And so, I, I then bought an M4. 
and they're shooting that thing, and they were like the happiest kids in the world. Bing, 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 and they're like, they're like, there's no recoil to this. I'm like, yeah, ain't it great? It's like shooting a BB gun. And they're like, holy shit, Dad, this is awesome. But yeah, the M1 Grand uh, yeah, is my favorite. Is my favorite. Um, any other gun notes before we move on? Will, any other gun notes? you have any, any gun information or data you want to share with the group? Um, you know, I bought a couple of revolvers lately. I bought a Liberty 1873. It's a single-action Colt. It's in 357, but I shoot 38s out of it. That's a fun gun to shoot. And then I bought a Ruger, uh, I forget the model number, but it's a 22 that's got, uh, 10 rounds in the cylinder. Yep. And uh, another really, I, I like 22. Uh, you can shoot a lot of it. It's pretty cheap. And, uh, you know, you, you don't get the impact on your body. Uh, so those are the guns that I like to, that I've recently acquired. And I uh, like to go shoot. Timmy, how about you? Any more gun asshole data? I'll, I'll, I'll save my story for, for when we're uh, talking stopping power, because I've got a stopping power story about 45. I mean, I mean, unless you want to hear it now. Yeah, of course. Wow. I'm the only guy here that shot somebody with a 45, and I'm also the only person here. How do you know? How do you know? Jeff might, <laughs> Jeff might confess and, uh, to something this again. Is a, this is a horrible incident. It's very difficult for me to go through. Let me, let me see if I can compose myself. So I was at uh, I was at Las Vegas uh, at Front Sight at the final test for Range Master. I'm on the seven yard line running a Gold Cup. Right, it has a nice fat trigger on it. Out of a, and I and I'm and I'm on fire, brother. I Hold on, let me ask. Wait, wait. Brother. I just want to make just so everybody knows. You said you shot somebody with this, but you're yeah. not in Afghanistan or Iraq. Is that no, 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 no right. nothing like that. No, this is we're not one of those kind of stories. Okay, no. got it. All right, all right. I just wanted to make sure because I didn't want people to be confused. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some professional gun knowledge for the audience so they, they know the, the, about these kind of things. So I'm, I'm sitting. I think it was a controlled pair from the seven. Whack, whack. I get it. Go to hit my slide safety. It doesn't work. I look at the gun. I hit the slide safety. It doesn't work. I go shit. Now I got to get my stupid Glock 21 out to finish the course. I raise my right hand for an alibi, put the weapon back in my holster when I hear it go off. It's just back, it's back out of my hand, and I'm looking at my leg, and there's smoke coming out of it. I'm like, oh, shit. And then I look at my, and my boot, there's like a big toe cap in my boots laying like five feet away. And there's blood, like, just starting to pour down my leg. And I'm like, God damn it. And, and, uh, and, the, and the, the, the owner comes up, and I'm like, what the hell happened? What the hell happened? I said, look. I, my slide safety is broken. I put in a holster for an alibi. I know I should have kept the holster. It was, I was like a distinctive movement. And then they, it was their holster. And they took this gold cup. And the gold cup has a, has a, a treatment, the same as the, the guard. And every time they put it in that holster with the, with the slide, with the, um, the slide safety off, the hammer dropped. It was a poor designed holster, in, in other words, for that particular. But I, I mean, I think within my thigh, it came out my thigh, and my calf came out that, hit my goddamn toe. And I thought, my, and the first time that goes, dude, is that your toe over there? I said, I hope not. But it, it wasn't. My, my toe was blackish shit, though. And I had to go to the hospital because I was gunshot, and then I had to give a statement to the cops. 
who are laughing their ass off at me. And, uh, but I was such a man about it that they allowed me to come back and finish the course. <laughs> so the, 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 the key being there about the 45. You gotta watch out about that slide safety, you know. Sometimes you feel sloppy hit that thing. I've done it in the in a Kydex hole. Bad news. You know, I thought that was this was gonna be a story of you shooting somebody in Iraq or Afghanistan and you're starting to tell a story. And I, and I look up and Will's laughing his ass off. I'm like, what's he what's so funny? And then <laughs> Jeff's and then Jeff is laughing. I'm like, oh, this is what he shoots him. Jeff, Jeff knows the story. Tim, you get the Mike Neyman salted middle valor <laughs> for that one. Oh uh, no. You see this wasn't technically all my fun. It was coming no. But it was okay. sort of a little bit of serendipity. But look, I got guy who shoots has a story like that. I got I got this for you guys. I spent eight years in Afghanistan in all the wrong districts as for for eight years. I never shot anybody. I never I never fired my weapon because that was not my job. That's good. And here you go. And then you get shot in Las Vegas. What the hell? Oh yeah, score though. It was just not that bad. And it's a man about it. I admit it was compliant. <laughs> and then the guys who looked at my ammo were like, what are you shooting at that gold cup? It was all the FBI. It was those gold saber rounds the FBI gave me. I'm like, hey, it's the only round that I'm like, Jesus Christ, get that to me. Take some training. What the hell's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? And, and the way you the, the way you led into that, let me see if I can pose, I can compose myself to tell the story. That was well done. Well played. Hey, 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 look, I was never going to tell this story. I've almost told it to you a couple times, but I, I didn't think the time was right. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, how about you? Any more, any uh, any other gun asshole uh, information or stories? Do you have a story like that you want to share? Uh, no. What? Right, it's come. Nothing, but, uh, nothing that involves Ronnie, Ronnie Lee step and, and drinking and guns or anything like that? No, not with guns. I... I I would like to uh, to get a cult python, you know, that three foot seven, and just like Will, I would shoot thirty eight rounds. It's cheaper. The other gun I want to get, I want to get a um, probably an SK or a, you know, me. So, and uh, that'd be my, uh, you know, I was gonna get on like a mini four, a fourteen or or a, you know, an AR five five six on a gun, you know. My stepson had a 6.8 Creeper, and that's a sweet one. Um, you know, but never opened it himself, so, you know, what you can do now. But, uh, yeah, I would get those two. And that far, I got a um, civilian Rinelli, which you know, holds, I think, seven rounds. Rice the nine, you know, whole. Then I'm done. Because uh, it's not. For me, I mean, I'm not that much of a gun nut, but I, I, I wouldn't mind somebody before I die. <laughs> well, you know what? You know Tim had this. Tim used to stand up at our IOC breakfast, and he had this thing. And Tim, you say, remember the thing you used to say about? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, I, my mother's my mother would have said, "I'll never be happy until I put somebody's eye out with that baby gun," which I never did. And I've never, I never was happy. And I've never been truly happy. <laughs> yeah. It was something like that. It was a great, 
<laughs> great quote. Uh, all right, uh, much interest in, in what you shitheads are reading. Um, Jeff could copy somebody, so he'll go first. Um, Flor- Flor- Florence, what are you reading these days? Me, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading um, the book about the girl by Elber. Uh, this is outstanding. That's it. Yep, it's uh, it him as like a lieutenant. Um, it's, you know, it was recognizing by Elber. It's not about it, but uh, it's about the officer the Gurkhas joins them a night seven, and uh, as a second lieutenant, Walter and. He goes all the way through this, where I'm getting in that in the uh, northwest frontier, which is brutal. As far as uh, he thought, he said, I thought being in India was going to be all palm trees and, you know, um, hot weather, you know, exotic. Instead, it's cold as shit, all these posh dudes, basically, up there that they're dealing with. And uh, what's your uh, stand? That's interesting. All right, Timmy, what are you reading? Well, I took a little bit of advice from Jeffro, and I'm reading Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Hey, get out. Because it's light reading, it's it's fun, and I spend most of my evening reading classical and contemporary sociological theory, and so I've got to read something light after that just so I can go to sleep. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. That's impressive. I, you know, I, I should probably read that. Oh, Huckfin's awesome. It's fun to read. It's, it? a, it's, it's a fun book. I forgot. The lynch mob, Tim. Wait to get the lynch mob part. Yeah, I'm, I, just, I just started last night. Yeah. All right. Will, what are you reading? Uh, this week I've read three books. So I finished a book called The Ship That Wouldn't Die. I got named Don Keat. Keat. K-E-I-T. It's about the USS Neosha, which was sunk in the Battle of Coral Sea. And just a great story, uh, really good narrative. You just got to ignore the discussion about the greater theater and things because you've already read uh, all the told books. And so it ruins these books for those. Then I read a book about the Russian Revolution by a guy named E.M. Halliday. And I got it on Kindle, so I don't know how long it was, but I don't think it was 200 pages. It's sort of an overview of the big muscle movements. And it's something I just didn't know a lot about. And I, it's, it's very good for that. It's not a lot of depth, uh, but puts in a historical context what happened. And then I read the book that Tim recommended, American Buffalo. Just a really great book. You know, it's uh, natural history hunting, uh, science, evolution, all about the buffalo. Really well done. And then, so I read all those, and now I'm reading The China Nightmare by Dan Blumenthal. And I don't know if you guys talked about that before. Um, Again, really good. It's only about 180 pages, and it sort of outlines... Uh, this guy's case for why China is the way it is now. And the end of the book is about um, what our response is and should be. And I haven't read that part yet. 
Um, but again, if you want less than 200 pages to describe why China is the way they are, uh, the China Dan Blumenthal. The China Nightmare. I'm a... Uh... I read the Mu Lai investigation today, but I, uh, I last night I had the chance to watch a movie, a uh, documentary that that um, kind of a sneak peek, a preview of it, and it's the movie that Ken Rogers and his wife Betty have made called "I Married the War," and it's uh, it's there it's interviews with all these spouses who married Romeo, right, and then Romeo goes off to war. And Romeo comes back, and Romeo's not the same. And the impact on their lives, and um, um, uh, it's not out yet. But when it does come out, I would, you know, uh, I'd tell everybody that, that listens to this program on a regular basis, watch it. Um, uh, and it was interesting, the effect it had on me, because uh, I, I watched it till about 11.30 last night. And I got up, and I began to shut the lights off, and I just... I don't know. I just felt the need to be quiet, which is not my natural state, and um, and to be alone. After watching, you know, about an hour and forty minutes of of people talking about the impact of trauma on their lives, and and how poorly we as a nation um, deal with it, how poorly you know we educate not only um, you know those of us who, you know, go off and, and participate in, in operations around the world. But, you know, our, our families don't know anything about it either. You know, and into this world of ignorance, you know, comes this, this really difficult problem. And, uh, and I just want to say, you know, Ken Rogers is a, is a 0311 Lance Corporal, was at Quezon in, uh, you know, as a 18, 19-year-old young guy. And comes home and uh, and uh, gets drunk for about 30 years, and since he's got sober, has really done some great work. And the first documentary um, is called Bravo! Exclamation mark! Common men, uncommon value. You can find that on Amazon Prime. And I'll tell you what: if you want to see, watch a great, great documentary that gives you, you know, whatever he thinks a case on, you know, everybody. In my opinion. You know, there's a picture of the ammunition dump exploding and blah, blah. You know, they tell that story. Um, and it's a 77-day event, and they talk about it. There's a uh, uh, there's a, a, an event they call the Ghost Patrol, where about 55 Marines go out and only about six come back. And those bodies stayed out there for a while. And, you know, the, the thought of their friends out there, and they couldn't get to them because the platoon essentially gets ambushed by two battalions of the North Vietnamese that were dug in, and then you hear them talk about the impact that they knew their friends are out there, rotting. And, you know, the, the whole thing about Marines don't leave Marines behind, you know, and here these guys are out there. And they're not very far from, you know, from the, uh, you know, their, their their perimeter. And then they go out for this thing they call the payback. And and they catch the North Vietnamese by surprise. And, and they're using flamethrowers in trenches outside of Quezon, and I, I'm like, shit, I didn't know that, and there's a dude in there that, that is one of the most, uh, I don't know, vivid things I've ever seen, and he talks about getting in this pop-up contest with this North Vietnamese soldier, and he gets out of sync, 
he says, I'd pop up, then he'd pop up, and I'd pop down. And I thought, we're playing Pop Goes the Weasel. He said, I need to get out of sync. He said, and so I go down, I come back up, and I'm waiting for him. And I can hear my, you know, my PMI coaching me on the range. Breathe and squeeze. And you're watching him do this. And you can, you're watching him going, he's there right now. And he said, he said, I smoked the dude right in the head. And uh, he said, then I do it to another guy. I start playing Pop Goes the Weasel with him. But this thing is so vivid. And uh, it's just a and, and then the other thing they do is they talk about the experience of coming home as young guys, less than 20, most of them, to a nation, you know, who treated you like dog shit. And, you know, the one guy says, I'll never forget this. He says, you know, I came home. He said, uh, I thought I did my duty like my my dad did, right, in, in, in Vietnam. You know, my brother did in Korea. I thought I did my duty too. And I came to, and all I wanted my country was to love me as much as I loved it. And it didn't. And they all went into the closet and became closet Vietnam vets. And so, uh, so I mean, so Ken, that was, the, that was the, the movie. And that, the people they met, that begets the second documentary, which is called I Married the War. But I had a chance to watch that last night. And, and the impact on me, I thought, was interesting, you know, in, in terms of making me quiet. So, so anything. All right, any final comments before I let you guys go? None? Tim? Hey, Jeff. Yeah. It's nice to hear Give me a call. Huh? Give me a call. Okay. I don't mean like admin notes, Will, to each other. I meant like if you had anything you wanted to say to people that listen to this son of a bitch. <laughs> There's no one that listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> But but if you have any other admin traffic for each other, go ahead, Tim. You need toilet paper that we can send you. It was it was nice to hear Grant. I, I missed hearing Grant for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens when I don't when I don't do the show? All right, boys. First of all, uh, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, all right brother. All right, Bill. Now, if you stayed through all that, God bless you, man. You were a fan. I told you it wasn't that bad. It takes a little getting used to, but fully within your realm of things you could do. So anyway, um, again, with apologies, it happens, though. It irritates me, and I did everything. I ran every audio editing process I could find to try to... Save that. I thought there's got to be a way. And you know, the, the oddest thing is that there doesn't look like there's any, any audio distortion in the sound wave. Normally you can see stuff like that as it records and imprints itself. Right? Um, so anyway, I'm off to get a COVID shot. Uh, go change somebody's life. Help somebody. Do a good thing. I'm telling you, it'll make your day. That's what this program's all about. That was the original founding premise of it. Make a difference. And we are. So I want you to make help make a difference. Get after it. Go change somebody's life. Post-traumatic winning is the shit, man.
back in the high life, man. It's your responsibility to lead people there. So do that shit. See you tomorrow. When uh, I hope the chef, if I'm feeling good enough, I hope the chef and uh, Greg Lotus join me. So we shall see. All right. On a Thursday, with apologies, I'm out. <laughs>